I'll go and working through the Beatitudes. We're in part three. I need you to open your Bible to Matthew, please. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> when you get there, would you please stand with me? We will be reading verses 1 to 6. Matthew chapter 5. Stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 1 together. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's pray. Father, as we stand before you humbly, reading your word, hungering for something more than this world can offer, I pray that you would fill that hunger this morning. Teach us, speak to us as if you were right here this morning. And I know you are, because you've been invited and you are needed. Lord, we need to break down all of the stupid things we've got in our lives between us and you. So, Lord, I pray that we would yield and surrender and, and let you be our Lord, just like you, we let you be our Savior. God, I pray for our meeting today that it would uh, speak deep to our hearts, convict us, and change us. May we live like we're in the kingdom of God and not like we're in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> All right, as I've said, each one of these weeks as we've begun here in the Beatitudes, about 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus was traveling around the regions of Galilee, up here at the very top of, of, of Israel, the Dead Sea down here, Jerusalem up here. But up in that area, Jesus walked and talked to anyone who would listen, and he preached about a coming kingdom. A kingdom that was, that was coming back, that had been missing since David's day and since Solomon's day. In Luke chapter 8, it says that Jesus went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 1, it says that Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, it's right Near us, repent ye and believe the gospel. It excited everyone. Crowds gathered by the thousands around him to hear him teach about the kingdom again. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to a perfect king, kingdom coming, even better than David's, that would continue forever. And that there would be a prophet like unto Moses who would come and not just give laws that would be engraved in stone, but would give better laws that would be engraved in hearts. So here was this Jesus guy walking around, didn't seem to own anything, didn't seem to have any political power, didn't seem to have any armies, and yet people gathered around him and listened to him, and when he stopped, they stopped, and they held on every word. And he began by teaching what we call the Beatitudes. Now, they are basically eight beginner truths. They're not the deepest truths. They actually are first class. They're, they're what you take 
to get started. They're your orientation into the kingdom of God. They're how you're supposed to live. And they are out of this world. They're not something you just figure out on your own. They're the opposites. I call them blessed or the opposites. They're the opposites of what we normally, fleshly, uh, naturally would do in life. They are all about our attitudes, not just about what we do, but what we think before we do, because what you think determines what you will do. So Jesus works on the inside, and for three chapters, he describes what's it like in his kingdom. And now, even though he's talking about a kingdom, sometimes we get the idea of a future kingdom, a kingdom uh, uh, that's a place. And, but this kingdom, as we've learned, is the kingdom of God. It doesn't have a place. It has a people. And um, it is just as much a kingdom as the kingdom of, of Great Britain and all of this stuff. But it is very different, as we've learned. I'm not going to review some of that stuff. But it is a kingdom that a Christian lives in now. I'm looking forward to heaven, amen? I'm looking forward to being with Jesus. I'm looking forward to the devil being locked out of my life and, and put away. And I, I never having the, the pull of sin or temptation ever again. I'm looking forward to heaven. But that's not here yet. I need something now. He talks about a kingdom that I can live in now. Now, beatitude means blessing or benefit, happiness. Even means something that's beautiful. So these are beautiful things about the kingdom of God. Now, the opposite of beatitude are misery. So if I wrote a, a, a journal of your last week, would it be beautiful or miserable? Well, your view of these beatitudes and your attempt to live by these attitudes can change your whole view on life, and you can change from broken into beautiful. So these beatitudes are not for everyone. If you're not saved, they go right over your head. You cannot live these things without being born again. They cannot, you will run from them, you will think they're impossible, you will hate them, because you don't have a heart for it. But when you get a new heart, you will hunger for these things. It's one of the proofs that you're saved is that these things, you don't mind them being your challenge or your goal. So they're not for everyone. And I'm going to tell you, even as a Christian, they're not easy to live by. You attempt to, uh, uh, you, you're, you, you attempt to stay meek and you will find it very hard. Amen. So, uh, these eight Beatitudes basically tell us that you're blessed when you're poor in spirit, not poor in pocket. Everybody wants Jesus to give prosperity. Well, no, he says, blessed are when you have nothing. But he's talking about in spirit. He's talking about you come to God, and even as a Christian, I don't care if you're saved, I'm saved 37 years, and you know what I have? Nothing except what God gave me. I bring nothing to the table. And as long as I stay that way, God will keep giving me stuff. You understand how that works? So blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, you're a blessed person. You're a blessed person when you're sad sometimes. How can I be blessed if I'm so defeated? Because your, your, your life and your disaster does not define you. Jesus does now. And so it doesn't matter whether everything is going wrong. You're going right. Blessed are those who are sad sometimes. Blessed are those who take last place who meekly allow some arrogant jerk to go ahead of them. You ever been driving, and you come up and you want to park somewhere, and, and you meekly go, I love you. <laughs> and you go, Lord, the kingdom is hard, amen. 
taken last place, there's a blessing in it because God promises you'll win first place in His kingdom. Always be hungry for good things. Show mercy and compassion and kindness a lot, not just a little. See, a nature, my nature says I'll be nice to you until you're not nice. And then it's over. <laughs> Prize purity in your heart. Don't let the world, and we'll talk about it a little bit today, don't let the world soil you. Man, keep your heart pure. It is, it is a blessing to not know what's being shown at the cinema. It is a blessing not to know what some things people get into. Seek to make peace, man. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't understand the, the, the war footing everybody's on. But a Christian can come in and make peace and can bring, bring two enemies together if we want to. That's what the kingdom of, of God is about. And lastly, to rejoice in all times when people hate you. And I don't find any of that easy to you. So far, we've learned the first three. We've learned about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek. This morning, we're going to focus on blessed are they that hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst. Did you know that you can live every day of your Christian life right now godly, rightly, instead of filled with every sin and dark thought and desire? You can live godly. Amen. You are not Destined, if you're saved, you're not destined to live in the same hellhole in the same way you used to. You've been made free. So when we talk about this thing here in Matthew chapter 5, look at verse uh, 6. It says that first word. He repeats it over and over. He says, blessed. Blessed describes someone who is happy. Someone who's fortunate, well-off, well-to-do, rich, thriving, successful. Even though they may be empty failures in life, people may look at you and go, You got nothing. You go, Amen, but I'm blessed. <laughs> Grease stricken people are happy people if they're saved. Last place people, you know, if you're, if you're always in the last place, people look down on you and go, Man, they're losers. Not if you're in the kingdom of God. Uh, hungry and thirsty people, you, you pity hungry and thirsty people. Don't pity a hungry and thirsty person in the kingdom of God because God says they're going to get filled. Kind people when they should be mean. Clean people, even though the entire world around them is, is chin deep in muck and filth. These are the people that are rich in God's kingdom. People who are peacemakers in a culture of war and hatred. And hated people. Jesus offers the people of this kingdom who live that way a better way. A better way to not that we don't experience that, but we don't, we don't look at it. We look at things that are invisible to the world. We look at, we, we, we see things that, that, that nobody else sees, and that is hope. We have a sure hope. So this morning we're going to talk about blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now let me give you a quote from, from a famous preacher, a great Bible student. J.C. Riley said this, The true Christian hates sin. Are you listening? flees from it, fights against it, considers sin his greatest plague, resents the burden of its presence, mourns when he falls under its influence, and longs to be completely delivered from it. Isn't that true? That's a true Christian. I know a lot of people who are Christian in name only. See knows. <laughs> 
They are Christians in name only who have no problem with sin in their life, no problem what they watch, no problem what they listen to, no problem what comes out of their mouth. And you wonder, are they really saved? Because a true Christian doesn't like sin. Now, the meaning of this beatitude, let's read again uh, verse 6, and it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, go to chapter 6 and verse 33, our memory verse. 6 and verse 33. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Matthew 6, 33. we got some scriptures to look at this morning, starting with verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and next two words, say them real loud. His righteousness. Seek His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So the meaning of this, bad, this attitude is that Jesus wants us Christians hungry. He likes it when we're hungry. You know, it's no, there, is, there is no joy in a home when everybody's always snacking and they're always going to the cupboard and getting the food and they're always fixing their own dinners and it's time for dinner and nobody sits down at the table because they've all already eaten. Not hungry, Mom. I already got my dinner. That's not home. And a lot of people, they get all of their food off the Internet they get off their food off of YouTube. They get all their food off of what they see on television and um, uh, maybe some, uh, some time with the, with the buddies and stuff. And so they come to church if they come, hello, and they're not hungry. God says, blessed are you when you're hungry. Hungry and thirsty are words that describe a natural drive in every one of us to satisfy a desperate need. How many of you have been hungry for more than a day? <laughs> you're desperate. <laughs> The world knows we obviously should be hungry for food. It's normal and natural to be love, hungry for love and for companionship. It's, it's natural to be hungry for, for success and purpose in life. Jesus wants us hungry for more than that. Jesus wants us hungry for righteousness in our heart. Hungry like you used to be. Let me talk to you real plain. Do you remember what you used to be like when you first got saved? Do you remember how hungry you were, how you couldn't wait to get to church? You, I, when I got saved, I wish I could live there. I didn't know it was weird. But I couldn't wait for church to begin. I couldn't believe they only had three services. I couldn't believe my pastor didn't want me to move in with him. <laughs> I'm not joking. There was something about just the hunger that was in my heart. I bought every book I could get on, on how to understand the Bible. It didn't help me one bit. Um, uh, uh, I, I, I just ate up and loved everything. Remember what you used to be like when you first got saved, how hungry you used to be? Jesus says, stay that way. You see it? Don't ever get over being hungry for righteousness. And not just to be right, like in an argument. I'm right. Admit it. <laughs> but righteous. Did you know our deepest need is not for success, though most people now hunger only for that. Our deepest need is not for love. Even every psychologist will tell you that. Our deepest need is not for pleasure or even for sleep. Our deepest need is for being made right with God. And I will guarantee you this, 90% of all Mental illness is guilt. Amen. 
Now, I don't mean to demean people who battle with things in their head and their heart. I'm just telling you, they have no idea they can be made right with God. That's their deepest need. And it will overwhelm all the hurts and all the past and all the abuse and all the things that are wrong in their life. Righteousness is being holy in our hearts before God, being right with God, pleasing to God, going the same direction as God. A um, old-time preacher named Billy Sunday had somebody said to him, said, you, every time I come to listen to you preach, you rub me the wrong way. He says, you know what you do with a cat that is being rubbed the wrong way? He said, what? He said, you turn the cat around. I ain't changing my direction, is what he was saying. And if you just find God, the Bible, church, hymns, soul winning, everything about Christianity rubs you the wrong way, let me tell you, you need to turn around. Because God doesn't change, amen? You know what's funny? Uh, Jesus said, blessed are those Christians who love righteousness and hunger and thirst for it instead of for sin. Why? because they'll be filled with every good thing imaginable. We think, oh, if I don't get a girlfriend at nine years old, if I don't get a girlfriend, I'm going to live depressed all my life. You're an idiot. <laughs> so is your mother for letting you have a phone. We think that we have to keep up with everybody else. We have to do everything everybody else is doing. We can't, we can't miss out on what everybody else is doing. Let me tell you, if there's one thing I wish this church could help our young people do, it is to break away from the pressures of the teenage years and just love righteousness because you will reap better than they will. You will get a wife who is godly. You will have children who love God. You will stay married. You will enjoy God. But if you sell your body, and you sell your mind, and you sell your heart to some flues, some jerk, some scum, everybody who comes down, you will hate humanity. You will hate men, you will hate girls, because they all will let you down. But if you love God, you will love everybody. Amen. Amen. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this, we love sin. We hunger for it. You know, sin thrills. <clears throat> if I brought in, if I, if I put on there a music video of, uh, of uh, some music star, I don't know, they change every other hour, but you put on there uh, some, some music video and some, some uh, 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 wicked woman up there and the beat and the drums and the, the, uh, the lights and the movement on there, everybody in here feel uncomfortable, but that flesh inside you will go, Boy, that's, that looks fun. It is. It's, listen, did you know anger has an adrenaline rush like a drug? That's why God calls it a sin. The devil's going to interfere, so just ignore him. Do you know pornography is like the most powerful drug ever invented? There's a, there's a web uh, site called Coveted Eyes, and Coveted Eyes is... It, uh, it's used in America uh, by pastors and Christians to try to keep each other so whenever they get on the internet, somebody else can check where they've been looking. And they've got millions of people. And you know what they found out? Every night, they, 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 this is for parents to, to know what their kids are on the internet for and what their husband's on the internet. 
Every night, 28,000 Christian men are on pornography in America that they know about. You know why they're on that? The flesh loves it. We love it. That's why you need, you need to have checks and balances. You need to be caught. You need to be embarrassed because your flesh does, does not want to do right. Amen? Laziness. You know, laziness is more fun for more people than a, than a, a roller coaster ride. Staying in bed is more fun for more people than it is to get up and go to work. Shopping. <laughs> wow. They, listen, I don't understand. It is not in me, but some people just live to shop. It is. It is. Our flesh. I'm not pointing out anybody. I'm not even looking up right now. All right. <laughs> Folks, we love sin. There is nothing good about sin. You know what sin is? Sin is living against design. It is living against God. If I came to your door, and your door is closed, not locked, but closed, and I bashed it in every time I came to your house, <laughs> you'd say, turn the knob. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, every time I go against the knob, I damage, don't I, amen? And every time I go against God's design, I damage things, amen? There's nothing good about sin. Sin is against God. And when I give in to sin, I am going to damage something. There's nothing good about sin. Well, everybody's doing it. It destroys our lives. Take your Bible, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, just before 1 and 2 Timothy. It's a little book, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12. While you're turning there, quote for me Romans 6.23, the first part. For the wages of sin is, just stop right there, there you are. Sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. 2 Thessalonians 2.12 says this. That they all might be, what's the next word? That's a rough word. Who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know why most people go to hell? Because they love sin more. You say, well, the devil made me do it. You, that, that is stupid. You love it, and it will destroy your life. That's why God hates our sin, because he doesn't want us destroyed. You know, if God didn't care about us, he'd leave us alone. You better, you better thank God he's got you still breathing, and why he still gets you, drags you out to church, why he still has a Bible-even pastor right here preaching, making you mad, because that is God's love for you. If he didn't love you, he'd let you go off in your own way. Amen. And that's why we need to turn from sin and repent of ever loving it. I'm talking to Christians. Matthew chapter 5 is written to believers. You tell an unsaved man, stop sinning. That's like telling him, stop breathing. You tell an unsaved person, stop loving sin. How can I not love what comes naturally? But I'm talking to Christians. Jesus said, blessed are you not... Uh, blessed are ye that you don't love sin anymore, but you love righteousness, and you seek after it, you hunger for it. What's wrong with, uh, what's wrong with our own righteousness? Somebody says, aren't we just basically good? Don't we just have a few flaws? From time, you know, we mess up from time to time. You know, truth is, no, we are ruined. 
Isaiah chapter 64. Go back to the left before Matthew. Isaiah chapter 64. Our own righteousness is actually the worst. Isaiah 64 in verse 6. <clears throat> I like how Isaiah includes this. You know, some preachers, you figure preachers are only preaching at people. Well, I hope you don't get that idea that I'm preaching at you as if I'm not in the same state as you are. But I want you to see, especially here in the Bible, Isaiah includes himself in this verse. He doesn't point the finger and says, you are all as. No, no, no. What is he saying? We. Let's look at it. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we, do all, we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. What's he describing? All right. Let's just imagine um, Adelina and Rodell have their baby. And... Adelina has been trusting Rodell to change the nappy. <laughs> She's resting in day one, day two, day three. She thinks, oh, this is wonderful. She goes in the room and she finds in the back of the changing table all of the old nappies. <laughs> and she picks up one of them. She goes, all our righteousnesses are like that. You get my picture? That's God's evaluation. It's not mine, not yours. If I were to evaluate my sin, I'd say mine's not that bad. I'd say mine's better than yours. But my evaluation doesn't count, does it? I'm full of selfish desires. I am full of pride. I am full of the stains of failure upon failure to do right. That's what I'm full of. You know what the Apostle Paul said? Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 and verse 6 says this. He says, I'd like, if, I could, if I could boast, I would do this. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss, a debt for Christ. Yea, doubtless, uh, and I count all things but loss, at a loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And I do count them, but what? You know what you do with dung? You bury it. <laughs> you don't put it on display. Imagine going into a home. Let's pretend, let's go over to Clive's house. We all go in there. We're having dinner. We look up, and he's got these beautiful framed cow manure patties. Down some big, some small. And, and we're going down. We're like saying, what are those? He says, that's my righteousness. <laughs> what? Paul says, I count every good thing in my life that I ever attempted to do like dung. Amen. That I may win Christ. And be found in him not having any of my own righteousness, which is of the law, 
But my righteousness, which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God, simply by what? By faith. Isn't that good? Hmm. You know what Paul said in 1 Timothy? He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save good people, save sinners, of whom I am chief. Second thing about our righteousness, there is none righteous. Now explain that to me. Is there anyone anywhere that is righteous on their own, yes or no? Absolutely not. Now, some of you are going, I've been made righteous. Shut up and wait for me to get there. Sin has ruined every attempt of ours to ever be good. It will always, always ruin your attempt to be good. Now, even though our hearts yearn deeply to be clean, listen, you get, you get dirty on the outside, you kind of feel itchy, you go, i got to get a bath. Well, go to Job chapter 25, middle of your Bible, just before Psalms, book of Job, just before Psalms, book of Job chapter 25. In verse 4, 25, 4. How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Now, you're not talking about clean on the outside. Where's he talking? On the inside. How does a man get clean and justified with God? They were struggling with that question back there in Job's day. And let me be, go to John chapter 8. Let me tell you this. We all know whether you're, whether you're saved for 35 years or you're as lost as the chair you're sitting in, you know that if something doesn't happen to you, you, you will not reach heaven. You know you will die in your sins. And you love to hear somebody salve your conscience and make you think that God just loves everybody and God doesn't send anybody to hell because deep inside you know you're in trouble with God. John chapter 8. Verse 24, what's wrong with our sin? It's sending us to hell. John 8, 24, <clears throat> Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am the Savior, guess what? Ye shall die in your sins. And he's talking to some of the most good people you'd ever meet. Some people who never miss the dotting of an I. Never skip the crossing of a T. Never seem to do anything wrong on the outside. Jesus said, you're going to die in your sins because on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. You've never been born again. Now, that's wrong with our, that's our righteousness. And you need a better righteousness than the Pharisees had if you're going to get and enjoy the kingdom of God. Now the truth is, God offers us a complete replacement of our sin with His righteousness. It's called imputation. I remember preaching on this when I was just, I was just up in, in, in a church up in New, in New Jersey. And uh, uh, I don't know, my accent was probably still a little bit southern at that point. And I preached on imputation. I talked about the transfer of the righteousness of Jesus Christ to that thief on the cross. Christ was judged as if he was the, the sinner. And that thief on the cross was judged as righteous. Because Jesus Christ transferred his rightness to it. And I talk, talk, kept talking about imputation. Imputation is the theological term of transfer of righteousness. And at the end, I had this guy come up and says, that was a great message, but I still don't know what amputation has to do with anything. <laughs> so don't get the wrong idea. We're not surgeons here this morning. God talks about 
imputation. Go to 2 Corinthians, because this is what we look like to God in our filthy rags. So I need you to go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. St. Corinthians 5, 17, well-known verse says very simply, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? All things are dead, are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That means my righteousness now is not my own anymore. I've got a different righteousness. Go to Romans chapter 14. Back to the left, Romans chapter 14. Our memory verse, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, it's not physical. But it is what? It is righteousness. That's what it's all about. And peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Go back to chapter 10 and verse 4. What are we talking about? It's not my own righteousness. Romans 10 and verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for what? Woo, to everyone that worketh. For everyone that prayeth. Just believeth. Christ ended the law for you. No longer do you have to keep the law to be righteous. Amen. What we're talking about is imputed righteousness, not personal righteousness. You know, we look like, oh, let me go take you back. Is there? Ah, all right. Well, Isaiah, Isaiah 55. Back to the book of Isaiah chapter 55. In verse 1 and 2. Wonderful scripture. Ho, hey, everyone that thirsteth, there's our word, come ye to the waters, he that hath no money. Guess what? Even without money, you can come buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligent unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness and in fullness. You know what? I may have looked like this all my life until the June 15, 1980, but Jesus Christ came along behind me and put his righteousness all over me and covered me in his blood. I am, before God, I have been made righteous. The challenge is I need to stay hungry, hungering for that righteousness and not letting it wear off because I'm going to teach you here, and I'll say it again a little bit, if I do nothing, what will my old nature always do? It will always win. If I do not hunger for righteousness, I'll end up hungering for sin. If I just let myself go surfing on the, t on the, the uh, TV, or if I just let myself um, just hang with the friends that I don't really care what they do, if I just let myself go, I will get in trouble. Now, God promises complete satisfaction. I like that verse... There, he says, uh, blessed are, are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That just basically means God's going to abundantly give you some good things, man. To the point where you're going to be so full, it'll overflow, it'll spill out. How about the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, 18. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 18. 
How many of you used to drink? And I hope that's a used to be. <laughs> There's some things that ought to be in your past. How many of you used to drink? When you start to drink, you'd always have that struggle of where to stop, where to stop. Reaching that, quote, limit. You know, it's kind of amazing. The government's finally catching up and saying, there is no reaching of a limit. Your first drink ruins you. Don't drive. Amen? Funny. We've always been laughed at over the years because Christians said don't drink, and now the government's saying don't drink if you want to live. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. But let's look at the flip side there. Instead of being drunk with wine, filled with wine, wherein is excess, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. You know, God will offer you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you this. There's one thing that gave Jesus Christ joy as a man. It was the fullness of the Holy Spirit in him. And the one thing that gave Peter and James and John through all the trials that they went through was the joy of the Holy Ghost. For they were full. You know, God promises if you will hunger and thirst after righteousness, God will give you the fullness of joy. Acts 13. Acts 13. 1352. <clears throat> and the disciples were filled with... Now that's after, that's after being uh, verse 50. It says the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, stirred up, stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They ex expelled them out of their coast, but... They were filled with joy. You know, when you do right, nobody can ruin your day. Amen. How about the fullness of God himself? Go to Ephesians 3.18 now. Ephesians 3.18. Start in verse 17. <clears throat> Am I right? Is that the right verse? Ah, yes, all the way down to verse 19, 17 and 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in his love, so that you may be able to comprehend, what a thought, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ with passions, all knowledge, and that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And God is infinite. I don't understand I can't. I can't be full of all of God, but I can be full of God. My little container of my heart ought to be full of God. And it's there if I seek it. Jesus said, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst, because you will be filled. Isn't that cool? How about wisdom? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who give it to all men, little biddily, right? Is that what it says? No, liberally. He'll pour it out. You won't know what to do with it. How about the will of God? Colossians 1, 9. You're in Ephesians, go to the right. Go to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. For this cause also, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, Colossians, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You know, most people, especially most Christians are, they're, un, they're ignorant of God's will. You know why? Because you, you're, let me tell you, there's the wrong thing. All right, you ready? Don't go looking for a wife. Look for God. Don't go looking for a great career. 
Look for righteousness. Work hard every job you work at, and I believe, I believe with all my heart, God will direct your paths. That's what my Bible teaches. You acknowledge Him, you obey Him, you honor Him, and He'll direct your paths into a great career. If you will seek righteousness, everything else will fall into place. You think Adam knew where to go looking for a wife? Hippo, no. <laughs> Giraffe, no. Aardvark, no. God says, Albert, you just watch me. You keep your eyes on me, Adam. You keep serving me, Adam, and I'll knock your socks off. Amen. The will of God, God will show you your purpose in this life if you'll seek his righteousness. Everything you'll ever need. Uh, Luke 6, 8 says, if you just give, God will have men give back unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You may not be prosperous, but you'll be better off than when you're a miser, you're miserable, you're stingy, you live for yourself. Now, where do we get righteousness? That's the question. Two negatives. Number one, it does not come by keeping the law. You know what the law does? It exposes our lack of righteousness. Acts 13 says, And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified. You couldn't be made right by the law of Moses. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is only the knowledge of sin. The only thing that the law does is it expresses what is right. It doesn't tell me how to do it. It exposes my sin. Amen. So don't say, well, I'm trying to keep the law. Well, good for you. But that will never make you righteous. Also, not by being a part of some church. Now, some people tell you that, good, I don't have to go to church. That's not what it's saying. But if you think that by going to a church, you're more holy to somebody that, than somebody who doesn't go to church, you're a fraud. Because there are plenty of people who sit in the chairs and are going to hell. And they're the biggest hypocrites ever imagined. Going to church doesn't make you holy. Going into a big cathedral. You ever been in one? You feel like, oh, I feel holy. <laughs> you go, that statue's staring at me, you know. You feel like all of God is there. That doesn't make you holy at all. Galatians 2.16 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Jesus Christ, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You'll never be righteous. How do you get righteous? Well, yeah, let me tell you how you get it. You empty yourself first off. You need to hate sin in you go to Psalm 97. Psalm 97. Say, Pastor, I used to want to be righteous. I used to want to live righteous. I used to protect what I watched with my eyes. I used to be careful about what I said with my lips. I used to care about who I hung around with. But I got, uh, I, 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 I couldn't live it. You know why? Because you're trying to live both worlds. You cannot love righteousness and still love sin. Anymore, and you can love one woman and try to love another one. They will each kill you. <laughs> Psalm 97 and verse 10. Psalm 97, verse 10. Ye that love the Lord. How many love the Lord? Raise your hand. Amen. How many really love the Lord? Raise both hands. <laughs> if you love the Lord, what do you need? What's the next two words? Hate evil. Just stop there. It's pretty simple. 
the filth that you allow yourself to watch, you need to stand up and say, I hate that. I hate that. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, I hate what I just allowed myself to watch. The entertainment you think is funny. Listen to some of these Irish comedians. I haven't seen an Irish comedian in the last 10 years that I could trust without being the most filthy conversation ever. I don't know why they have to go so filthy. And yet we laugh at them. Hate the entertainment you think is funny. Hate the things you do in your head and your heart that you know nobody else knows about. Hate evil. Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. Let love be for everybody, but abhor that which is evil. What does it mean to abhor at something? Yeah, but there's hate and then there's abhorrent hate. I mean, it's the worst kind of hate. It's like, on, on whatever thing you're, you're, you're involved in. Cleave to that which is good. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way. That's my old nature. And the froward mouth. What's a froward mouth? Hmm? Froward means it's something that, that you say without even thinking about it. And it cuts somebody else down. It's a crooked mouth. It's a hurtful mouth. It's, a, it's just a sinful word that you just say. And you just say it. The Bible says, in the froward mouth, do I hate, Solomon said. Hate it. Hate sin in you. You know, whatever you think is good and wholesome, you know, I've always done this. You know, when the Holy Spirit touches your heart and says, you need to give it up, you need to go, yes, Lord. And not just, all right, I'll let it go. No, I now hate it. Because the greatest opportunity I have is to agree with God. Do you hear what I said? I Listen, there's great happiness and peace in my home, and I agree with my wife. Amen? Amen. But that ain't nothing like agreeing with God. Amen? And when I look and I see what God hates and I still like it, I'm in trouble. But when I agree with God and I say, now I, God, I agree with you, I hate it. That's repentance. It'll be the hardest thing you ever do. Desire God's righteousness. Matthew 6.33 says, don't seek your own righteousness. Don't seek to be a better person. I've heard too many people say, I go to church. Why do you go to church? To be a better person. Well, it's noble, but it's dead end. You're seeking to improve your righteousness. Let me tell you, you don't need to improve your righteousness. You need a whole new transfusion. Amen. You need God's righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. Did you know that Christ is our righteousness? Do you realize that? First Corinthians 1 and verse 30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Of God, it's of the will of God that you've been placed into Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us all the wisdom we will ever need, and what? And all the righteousness we'll ever need, and all the sanctification we'll ever need, and all the redemption. You don't ever, I don't care how long you're saved, I don't care how much you've sinned, He is all the redemption you will ever need. He keeps you saved, He keeps you righteous, at least before God. He is our righteousness. 
You will not and cannot get righteousness from Mary or from the Pope or from some religious duty or some meditation exercise. You're just going to have to believe God for it. <clears throat> believe that it's in Jesus Christ, His Son. You have to believe that He's alive and that He rose again so that you could trust in Him and you could follow Him and He'd be all you will ever need. Go to 2 Corinthians now, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. So when it says wit, it means to understand, to learn this. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not, what's that word? There's that imputation. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And he hath committed unto us believers the word of reconciliation. We get to tell people they can be reconciled. Verse 20, now then we are now ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. As if God were talking to you just through us. We pray you in Christ said, be ye reconciled to God. Why? Verse 21, for he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us. That's what he did. And yet he never knew sin. So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So, I come to God as a wicked, damned, empty sinner. All I am is full of filth and filthiness. And here's Jesus Christ, and He is perfect and pure and righteous. He is the definition of what is right. And God took His righteousness, and He took it off of Jesus Christ, and He took my sin, took it off of me, and swapped them. And then he judged Jesus Christ, and then he said, Welcome home, son, to me. That's imputation. Because Christ is my right. I didn't get that transfer from, from somebody on the other side of a box that I confessed sins to. I don't get it through some good works. I don't get it through some special holy tour. You know what I get it from? Jesus Christ. I talked to him this morning, by the way. He's alive, and he... He's looking for hearts this morning. All the right, you know, what are the great things you desire, God? Well, I just don't know how to live right. That's why God gave you the Bible. Everything good and holy and right is found in your book, right in your hand. But our culture has robbed generation after generation of learning what is good and right and holy by mocking the reading of the Bible. Making people so busy, I'm talking to you now, so full of sin, so full of stress, that you've got no interest in the book that you've got in your hand that you brought to church on Sunday morning and you haven't read it all week. That's the devil. No wonder you don't know how to live righteous. Don't neglect the reading and learning and memorizing of your Bible. You know, I had somebody phone me. When I first came here to Ireland, I started the church. I had a couple of different reporters phone me. Sometimes they haunt me. But a reporter phoned me up from the... Uh, it was called the, uh, the paper was the examiner, but it was called the cork examiner back then, I think. The guy, and right back then, one of the, one of the TDs had come out and said he was queer and all this stuff. So this, this reporter asked me, he says, what is your church's position on homosexuality? They didn't know the term LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ yet. <laughs> so he said, what is your position? What's your church? And I said, uh, well, I'll tell you what the Bible's position is. It's wrong. It's not an alternate lifestyle, it's a wicked lifestyle. 
It is something that needs to be forgiven, and that person needs to find out that they were designed for a better way of life. It's called being born again. I gave him the gospel right there. He said, well, Jesus never preached against being queer. I said, yes, he did. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. I said, well, what does that mean? I said, he's speaking to an Old Testament Jewish group there. They knew what the law required. They knew what righteousness was because they all read the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible, sir? Don't let the world tell you, oh, well, Jesus never preached. He preached righteousness. And if you don't know what's right, you haven't been in your Bible. It's in there, folks. Sometimes it's in the pages you haven't read yet. <laughs> and don't just seek it, live it. Righteousness is a gift from God on Christ's account. But living right is your choice. Go to Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 22. Don't just seek it. And you need to seek it. You need to desire. But live it. Jeremiah 4, 22. For my people. Talking to, talking to God's people. I wonder if he's talking to us this morning. For my people is foolish. They live like there's no God. They have not known me. Now, it doesn't say they are Scottish children. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> Sottish is a nice way of saying they're stupid. God says they are stupid children. They don't have two brain cells. That's what he's saying. They have none understanding. They are so wise to do what? But to do good, they have no knowledge. Doesn't that bother you? Isn't that our world today? People know how to do everything evil, but they don't know how to get up and read their Bible. They don't know how to tell the truth. They don't have any desire to do right. Hey, don't be, don't be like that. You know what? Concerning sex, you know when you need to discover sex? On your wedding night. There's a whole lot of discovery ahead of you. How about concerning fun? Everybody else is having fun. Find something to do that's not dark, devilish, and illegal. <laughs> when was the last time you just played a game in your home or watched a wholesome video that promoted a man working a job <laughs> and promoted a father who loved his kids and wasn't uh, absent and wasn't divorced? When was the last time you watched a film where a husband and wife were married for life and you honored Jesus Christ? What do you spend all your time thinking about? You know what the Bible says in Philippians 4.8? Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, think on these things. Seek to think and live a different way. How about your purpose in life? Do you know what Psalm 1611 says? Thou will show me the path of life. God, you'll show me a way of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You seek God and you will find joy and you'll find pleasure. You'll find satisfaction because that's what he offers. Make it a priority. You know what hungry people do? Very little until they get something to eat. Amen? <laughs> you know, if you're hungry for righteousness, you won't think about what you're going to see on television. You're going to think about, can't wait for church. Can't wait to be with other Christians. 
That's why we have a midweek Bible study, so that people can make that, boy, i got to get back to church, i got to get there, so I can get right with God, so I can get righteous with the people of God. Let me show you something. John 3.30, John the Baptist said, He, Jesus, must increase, but i got to decrease. If you compare the old you with the new you that's in Christ, look at the old you. Luke 6.25, Jesus says, Woe unto you that are already full, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep one day. You know what the old me does? The old me loves sin. is full of the devil. The old me, I don't have to do anything for the old me just to win. And the old me will be miserable. You know what I need to do? Well, I'll come back to that in a second. The new me, Jesus says, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. That's a promise. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Those are the Beatitudes. So the new me loves righteousness. The new me is Christ in me now instead of the devil running my life. And you know, I need to stay hungry and I will be blessed. What I need to do with my old life is let it starve. You got a cat coming to your window constantly. You know what you do? Don't feed it. It'll leave. And if you stop feeding your lusts of your flesh, it will starve. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 7 tells you how to hate your sin. But just for us, just hunger for God's righteousness and you will be filled and satisfied and just delight in it because God will give you the the desires of your heart. Honestly. Here's the invitation. How hungry are you for God's righteousness? How hungry are you? Jesus said, blessed are you. Uh, This is not to get you hungry. This is for you to decide, I need to be hungry. One of the worst places to be is where you just don't want to eat anymore. You ever been there? I'm not talking about on a diet. I'm talking about where you just say, I just despair of of life. I just don't feel like eating. That's sad. A lot of Christians are like, I just don't feel like reading my Bible anymore. I don't feel like going to church anymore. I don't feel like my my neighbors matter for me to embarrass myself and give them the gospel anymore. You know what you need to do? Eat. (laughs) Hunger. Blessed are you when you do. I wish you were starving this morning. We're so dull of hearing, man. Maybe none of that is any remotely interesting to you. I can just tell you this. If it's not interesting to you, it's because you've not been born again. And I got news for you. Like like, uh, Eric said, you need to get saved from the wrath to come. Your righteousness won't do. Your goodness won't mount up more than a pile of manure. You must be born again. Bow your head for a moment. Just think for a second. Close your eyes and think about what has the Holy Spirit revealed in your heart about your hunger. How quick are you to just race home and turn on the Netflix? Seek to be with the friends. Run home, do what you want. On, a, on the Lord's Day, by the way, this day is the Lord's Day. This is the day which the Lord hath made. It's not an accident. We need to rejoice and be glad in it all day. You know what? Your hunger will be showed. Your hunger will be showed by the time that you spend getting right. Right now, you can get right. You can actually cry out to God and say, Lord, I haven't been hungry in a long time. But I want to get right right now. I can't, I I don't even know how to do right, but I I want to get right. I want my heart right. I want my, my thoughts right. I want my life right. Would you please make me right?
It'll cost you your own pride. Your wife will have to see you getting on the side of the bed <laughs> when you haven't gotten on the side of the bed in years. Your pride will have to go out the window. But you will succeed if you hunger. Jesus said, you will be filled. Father, we humbly bow before you, asking you to help us this morning to become hungry. To become so hungry that it causes us to really be worried about how far we've gone backwards. Lord, I'm glad you're a good God and that you're faithful and you're merciful and you are forgiving. I'm glad for the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is imparted to any believer and every believer. But Lord, that righteousness ought to now come out through our hands and through our feet, through our mouths. It ought to show by our lives. And we haven't wanted it to. We haven't cared for it to. So God, I pray for two things. One, that somebody in this room realize they are not righteous and they need to be born again. They're not going to be good enough. They will die in their sins if they don't get saved. They don't have to become a Baptist. They don't have to get baptized. They have to be born again. And they ought to do it today because they got no guarantee of tomorrow. And then for the Christian, we need to stay hungry for this kind of righteousness. We don't need to get saved again and again and again and again. We just need to stay hungry like we were when we first got saved. We need to want to be clean and right and not worry about the rest of the world. Not worry about what we're missing. Worrying about you. I want to practice the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, there's holiness. I want that. So bless as we sing in this invitation, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.